When a man hears a strange noise across the street, he grabs his flashlight and his gun and heads over to find out what it is. Little does he know he's not prepared for what awaits in the darkness. And then we travel to Minnesota to meet a young woman who's recently converted to Catholicism. She's new to her faith, and she can't wait to explore this brand new religious world. But all of that changes when she takes a walk alone through a haunted forest. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garvener. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. We got a lot of stuff to cover today. So first off, running into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our latest Dead Rabbit Radio contributors, financial contributors, donators is probably <laughs> probably a more normal word to use. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for cat cans. Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> this little cat. This little cat's walking into Dead Rabbit Command, scratching his ears. Cat Cans, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially through the Patreon or through Super Chat, he made a donation on YouTube Super Chat. That's really okay. It truly is. It really is. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. Cat Cans, I'm going to go ahead and start off by tossing you the hair hang glider. Everyone grab onto his fuzzy little tail as he jumps off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command and glides us all the way out to Arizona. We're headed out to Arizona. Specifically, we're headed out to Kingman, Arizona. It's July 1996. And it's late night. It's late at night. We're walking around this town. Now, specifically, it's like near Kingman, Arizona. They're actually building this new neighborhood in the area. So if you've ever been to something like this, we used to hang out in these all the time when we were teenagers and in college. We would drive around empty construction sites or like half-built neighborhoods, you could say. You could say. And... We didn't go out there to, like, drink or, you know, to, like, have sex on dirty mattresses. No, we weren't We weren't that cool. We were out there hunting ghosts in abandoned subdivisions. You're like, wait a second, Jason, why are you hunting for ghosts in newly constructed neighborhoods? Shouldn't you be going to, like, the spookiest houses? Technically, yes. But we had, like, Orangevale's Citrus Heights was such a crazy place in the fact that it was basically these suburbs were just spilling out from the city of Sacramento proper. I spent most of my time in Orangevale Citrus Heights. And even when I was growing up in my relatively short lifespan of 46 years, I grew up remembering just orange groves, trees of oranges, or what are they called? Orange trees, I think would be, again, the way a human would call them. Orange trees would go as far as I can see, and then they got cut down and they put up these new homes. But that still doesn't... <laughs> Jason, still, why are you looking for goats? Yeah, we get it. Time marches on, neighborhoods, trees get cut down and turn into neighborhoods. Why are you ghost hunting in 
newly constructed, being constructed suburban neighborhoods. Well, I will tell this story. I have actually told this story twice on the podcast before, and twice I have edited it out. I have taken it out. First time I recorded it, I go, "Mm, this story makes somebody very close to me look really like a really awful person. And then the second, so I took it out. (laughs) I took it out. And then maybe a couple hundred episodes later, I recorded it again. And I remember I mentioned it to someone that I know personally. And they were like, "Uh, don't put that. (laughs) Don't put that in the episode. That sounds terrible. And me as your friend to kind of think less of this person who's close to you. So I'm going to try to tell this story one more time. But I'm not going to reveal who the person is. I will reveal that this person has passed away. So don't go don't go trying to dox any of my friends or me. I had nothing to do with this story. But I had a close friend and or relative or an acquaintance. You'll never know. You'll never be able to guess from these context clues. Someone that I knew, we're going to go ahead and call him Mark. Totally made up name. Mark worked at a construction company. And for his entire life. Eventually he ended up retiring. You're scribbling this down. You're like, oh, okay, let's get this. Let's figure this out. He worked for a construction company his entire life. He moved up through the ranks of it. He ended up being becoming a foreman. So when he retired, he got a really, really sweet retirement. Like he did the full like work 20, 30 years. And then he didn't have to do nothing but repair cars and watch television the rest of his life. Off of his retirement. But... When he was still just the lowly bulldoze driver guy. Bulldoze. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time. <laughs> a bulldoze driver guy? What does that even mean? I'm having a... I, my brain's not working today. I don't know why. But Mark drove a bulldozer. And they were on this construction site in Orangevale. And while they were moving all this stuff around, digging up this earth to build this new subdivision, they came across bones. Human bones. And apparently, I was told this story directly by Mark, decades after it happened. Apparently, they found human bones and other things, artifacts nearby, that would make anyone, even with just a passing knowledge, and definitely an anthropologist or an archaeologist, go, this worksite is a Indian burial ground. That's the term they used back then. That's the term he used. A Native American burial ground. And the rule was, this is in California, (laughs) scribble down another note, the rule was that obviously if you uncovered human remains, if you uncovered proof that you were currently in construction above a Native American site, you had to stop construction immediately. You had to call, I think, the state and they sent out archaeologists and anthropologists and they'd steady the place and they would do what they could to try to remove the bones, but if this place was too sacred or notable, then you just couldn't build there. That was the most extreme example. Generally, they would come, they would steady the area, they would remove the artifacts most of the time, put them in a museum. 
because the land has been purchased by this private developer at this point. And this would have been like in the, I'm sure nowadays they just, comp- I'm sh- they, it could be that they just stopped construction forever, but this was back in like the late 70s, early 80s when this happened. So at the very least, construction was going to stop in this neighborhood for six months to a year. The very least. Probably longer. It might take that long for a anthropologist to come out there and really start digging in on the site. And so Mark went to his boss and said, Hey, dude, look, we found these rib bones. We found these human bones. Um, I know you're supposed to make that phone call. Like, what do you want? <laughs> he's all holding him. He's all playing the xylophone. Um, he goes, hey, we found these human bones. There's some other stuff here, like arrowheads. We don't think it was a murder scene. We think that this actually was like a Native American site. And his boss, was like, okay, he walks over and he looks at the the area where they had uncovered these bones. And his boss said, crush them. Mark's like, what? And boss is like, get in the bulldozer. Drive over them. Keep on going with your day. Don't tell anyone about this. Do your job. And so Mark did. He got in the bulldozer and he crushed all those remains. People people right now, I know there's probably... Listen, I don't know where this took place. I don't know exactly what year. Mark is dead. He's been dead for a while. He got in the bulldozer and he ran over the remains of this Native American burial ground. Or whatever it was, right? It could have been any number of things. That's what you would assume you find these bones underground, but we'll never know because eventually a house just got put up on there. I've told that story twice before, but I I actually said who the guy was and people are like, that makes that person sound awful. In his defense... His boss, his boss told him to do it. You know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do, right? What are you going to do? You just do it. He felt bad about it. I mean, he told me the story like 20 years after it happened. And he wasn't like laughing. He was laughing a lot less than I am when I'm telling it. He didn't make fun about playing a xylophone made of bones. He felt bad about it. But he knew that, he goes, that it happens all the time. Because they would just shut down. He goes, at the best, they would shut down the site for a very, very long time. And now we're losing money. The person who hired them is losing money. The construction firm, the people who own the land, all that, just run them over with your bulldozer and crush them up. Crazy. So, you know, you could go to the spooky houses. You can go to the haunted cemeteries. A lot of times those are pretty well guarded. I totally forgot what I was even talking about. You can go to those places to go ghost hunting, but usually they're well-guarded or well-trafficked, right? They could have really high old fences. Or you could have a lot of people going there looking for ghosts. But if you go out to those subdivisions that are still being constructed, that's really, it's an interesting psychic collision of new development and eventually new life being placed on a part of the land that may not have, no one may have ever lived there or hasn't lived there in hundreds of years. It does create this very, interesting psychic ecosystem and even more so when you have houses that are built but completely abandoned it's almost like a little ghost town 
So we would go out there. They tend to be fairly isolated. You would have security working there sometimes, but because they weren't, there was nothing to steal back then. Nowadays, people just steal out all the copper pipes and stuff. But back then, it wasn't so bad in California. Anyways, that was a long way to get to this story where let's talk about this. Um, I did spend time in abandoned subdivisions, and you guys might have as well. But we're about to meet a guy named John Wright. And he's sleeping in this neighborhood that's still under construction. His house apparently is already done. He paid him extra. He paid him extra. He's like, and I want the floor made out of crushed human bones. They're like, yes, sir. We know exactly who to hire. Let's call Mark. <laughs> I probably should stop joking about it. It actually is like a federal crime. I had nothing to do with it. Okay, we'll, we'll move on from that. I'll probably edit it all out if it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so... We have John Wright. He's living at his house in the subdivision. Everything else is still being under construction. It's still under construction. He's sleeping. And he hears a loud crashing noise coming from across the street. Loud enough that it wakes him up. He wakes up and he kind of looks out his window and he can't see anything that could have caused this loud crashing noise. But because he's in this area, he knows there's a couple of things that could be. He goes, one, coyote. We had a coyote problem, and it would make sense. They're curious creatures. They're wandering in and out of these empty buildings, knocking stuff over, looking for food or just having fun. Still annoying, though. It's a serious problem for us out here. Could also be teenagers. They also had a serious problem with teenagers who would come into these unfinished houses and have parties. That was something that these things are just, they're almost like Minecraft spawners for just teenagers to magically appear and start partying in this half-finished house. So he grabs his mag light, click, 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 testing it, making sure it works. And then he shines it out of his window over to the house across the street to see if he can see anything. And when he does... Shine that mag light over, he sees inside the building a pair of red eyes just staring back at him. So he goes, Coyote. Coyotes, coyotes have red eyes, right? When you shine a light on them, their eyes turn red, I think. He grabs his 30 6 He grabs his rifle. He's walking over to the house. And as he's getting closer, all of a sudden, he starts to hear a wheeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
he has his rifle at the ready. He's walking towards the house. And no matter what he could have possibly expected to happen, he's thinking coyote or teenagers. At this point, coyote's been scratched off the list. Possible teenagers. But even if you... I mean, this is a paranormal podcast. Even if you think what could be in this house... What what comes charging out of this house is so weird that it, it almost is a parody. A robot with flailing arms punches its way, apparently, through the wall. Or maybe came out the door. He didn't actually say how he left the house, but... I probably came through the wall. Okay, probably watch. I'm making it more exciting. It doesn't say. Maybe he jumped off the roof. I don't know. But the point is, is this boxy robot with flailing limbs. It comes running out of the house. He had a domed head. And he had these servo mechanisms for joints. I'm not for sure exactly what that is. They use that word a couple times. I mean, I know what a servo is and I know what a mechanism is. So I'm assuming it's just a bunch of gears going clickety-clack, clack, clickety-clack, clack, clickety-clack, clack, and like moving his joints and stuff like that. I will say that's a pretty good look. <laughs> you got a pretty good look at this thing as it's charging out of the house and or bursting through the wall. He's looking at its joints. If you're being attacked by a mountain lion, you want to be like, man, that guy, sure, look at the mountain lion's joints. Look how they sure are strong. He sure is uh, fast as he's chasing me up this hill. It's the size of a human with a domed head comes running out. <laughs> Takes John by surprise. It would take anyone by surprise. He fires off a shot, but it's he's he's running, right? He's he, he, Where do you even shoot a robot? In the, in the servo mechanism joints? He fires his rifle blindly and takes off. He runs home, locks his door, and and thinks for a second. The thing ran out of the house towards me. It's it's probably going to try to follow me home. There's really only at this point two things in this subdivision: me and this robot. <laughs> he clearly saw which house I ran into, so he grabbed his shotgun and got a pistol, and then he retreated into his study. And barricaded himself in and waited. About 10 minutes later, John hears a car pull up outside the house. Ooh. <laughs> what was that? Was that Willy Wonka's car? <laughs> Oompa Loompa's gonna save him? No, that was supposed to be the sound of a police siren shutting off. <laughs> Very specific sound. You're like, why don't you just do the whole police siren, dude? Anyways, the sheriff has pulled up. They got alerted. They heard a gunshot in the middle of this subdivision. Somebody called it in. You know, Arizona's so flat, you can probably hear a bird poop on the other side of the state. Someone calls in the gunshot, and sheriff pulled up, and John comes out and says... I'm just going to be totally honest with you. I robot attacked me like he wasn't trying to hide it. He knows he's going to sound like an idiot. He goes, I was attacked by a robot. It came out of that house over there. So the sheriff, who's, you know, nice enough to want to find out if there's really a robot over there, 
He said, okay, let's go find out. Let's go see if there's actually... I mean, he could have just gone in his car and driven away, took the guy's gun and be like, you can pick this up tomorrow, John. I think you're drunk. No, they went over. John and the sheriff both went over to the house and there was no robot inside. But what it did look like was that someone had been, or something, had been rummaging through the area. Rummaging through it. They said construction material was strewn about inside the house and it appeared that when they went up and inspected the roof of the house from inside it looked they could see multiple holes driven through the wooden planks that made up the roof it appeared as if someone was drilling through the holes from the inside but why someone was doing that where they went why they were just throwing around construction material no answer for any of that I love this story because, one, you do have a UFO encounter or an alien encounter in the suburbs or as close to the suburbs as you can get. They're very rare. We covered one recently with a guy that I met at a UFO, or it was actually a George Norrie speaking event, a guy named Tom Cherry. He talked about a UFO he saw over a park, multiple witnesses. One of my favorite episodes, the aliens uh, invading the town of Casablanca, that was also like a full, in the middle of the day, suburban alien event. But they're fairly rare. And then you also have that combination of, it's a recent story, 1996, but you have the old-timey robot with the flailing arms. I mean, obviously that brings about stories of like that show Lost in Space. Mr. Robinson, run, or whatever the stupid robot said. Danger, whale, danger. I don't remember. I never watched that. But um, that... Right, like super old-timey stuff, Flash Gordon-level robot technology. And it's just one of those weird quirks. You would think that the aliens would have super high-tech stuff. I, it's funny how to think about it. There's no sign of a UFO. I don't know why I keep thinking this was an alien. This, now that I think about it, it could be some evil genius who built a, built a robot in his laboratory. How come we don't have more stories like that? <laughs> Now that they probably because they don't exist. I was just thinking, like, how come there's not more stories about mad scientists creating robots and then running amok? And then I realized because it just that's 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 why we don't have more stories about scientists taking chemicals and turning into an evil version of themselves because that's fictional. But I mean, it could be. This could have been a government-made robot. It could be an alien robot on the loose. It could be an interdimensional robot. Who knows? But it's a bizarre little story and i think again it shows that if you have that thirst to experience the paranormal and i see a lot of people post about that online even talk to me about how much they want to experience something paranormal you never know what you're going to get you could want to see an alien you could you could get a giant robot charging at you possibly destroying your wall definitely drilling holes through your roof you just don't know what you're going to get. This guy had no idea what was coming for him. And I, again, I love the paranormal. I, if I knew something creepy was going on in this house, I wouldn't have expected a robot either. I think that would have been the lowest thing on my list. But a crazy story of man versus machine. Cat cans, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Arizona. Everyone wave goodbye to our new friends down there. The robots, the robots that are slowly taking over the city. We're saying goodbye to Arizona. Fly us all the way out to Minnesota. 
It's Minnesota. It's autumn, fall, what normal people call it. But autumn, the leaves have turned red and yellow. They're falling from the branches. Landed on the ground where they will soon rot and become food for mother tree that they fell off of. Trees, the ultimate cannibal. <laughs> the ultimate cannibal eating its own children, those disgusting monsters. It's a Saturday. It's a Saturday when all of these tree babies are dying horrible deaths. And we're about to meet this young woman. We don't have an exact year. We don't have an exact name for her either, but we're going to call her Molly. Molly's a young mother, and she's visiting Minnesota. She's not uh, native to Minnesota. She's actually visiting because she is recently converted to Catholicism, and they're having a Catholic conference. At the hotel that Molly is at, and probably also the hotel where they're having the conference, there is a forested nature area right nearby, kind of connected to the hotel. So actually, someone in Minnesota may know where this story takes place. It wouldn't be too hard to find out, like, what hotels have Catholic conferences during the fall and are near a forest. I'd be curious, because this would be one of those stories that you should, you should spend more time researching this than trying to find out who Mark was. This is a story that, if this story is true, this forest is someplace you do not want to go. This is a negatively charged area. I'm, I'd be really curious if one of you guys could figure this out. It's a hotel that's next to, or part of this forest and nature area. And Molly, during a break in the conference, she decides to go for a walk around the winding paths through this forested area. She goes, it wasn't in the middle of nowhere. She goes, there was a lot of other people walking around. There were families out, people in the area, people who were there for the conference, people who were just staying at the hotel. It wasn't isolated. It was a beautiful trail, winding trails that you could just kind of lose yourself in. Molly walks for a bit, and then she takes a seat, and she's just sitting there on this path, on a rock, right? She's not sitting on the dirt, probably a bench even. And the sun begins to set. She's sitting there. She's just contemplating her life up till now and what her future may be. And just finding the peace in her heart. And as the sun starts to set, she's like, okay, she get back to my room. Some late night conferencing, maybe. And Molly said when... She got up off the bench, or the rock, wherever she was seated. When she stood up, she realized that the forest was silent. No families, no people, no birds, no bugs. Nothing made a sound in her immediate vicinity. And she begins to feel like she's being watched. She kind of looks around. 
she doesn't immediately see anything that could be giving her that sensation that she's being watched, but it's more than just that. She feels like she's being hunted. It's not just eyes staring at her from an unknown location. Whatever is looking at her wants her. For whatever reason, she doesn't know, but she is prey to this thing. And so she just begins to walk back along this path. Back towards the hotel and she begins to pray. That's when she begins to hear the sound of something moving towards her. And she turns and she looks in the direction where she hears the sound coming from. And a couple feet behind her, but alongside of her. So she's on the path and then there's the grass on the off the path. She hears the sound, she turns and she looks and she said, the grass was parting. Some invisible force was moving the grass as if someone was walking next to her a couple feet behind. So she begins to walk faster, and this invisible force is keeping up. If anything, it's getting closer. She can look back and she sees the grass parting in such a way as if some unseen figure is walking right next to her. And at that point, she begins to hear heavy breathing in her ear. She continues to walk in the direction that she knows the hotel is in. And when she was sitting down, she may have been in a quieter area. Now that she's even closer to the hotel, remember, the sun has just begun to set. It is not late at night. Now that she's even closer to the hotel than she was, there's no one around. She does not see another traveler on the trails even though there should be. She's the only one, and she goes the walk to the hotel. Even though I took a wandering path headed out in the one direction on my lazy walk through this forested area, I took my time. The fast walk back to the hotel seemed to last ages. It lasted far longer than the journey out when I was purposely taking my time and literally stopping to smell the roses type of situation. She eventually, though, gets to the hotel. She stops hearing the heavy breathing. She stops feeling this force behind her. She goes up into her room and she's shaken up over the whole thing. It's a terrifying ordeal that she went through. She's in an area that she's not familiar with. I mean, this would be terrifying in any... In any of this could happen in your bedroom. It'd actually be terrifying there, too. But she's really shaken up by this. And she feels that this could be some sort of paranormal force, demonic in nature, fighting against her because of her new conversion to Catholicism now that she's on the path of God, on the path of Jesus, following the teachings of Jesus Christ, maybe something is targeting her. Maybe it was something in the woods. Maybe it was all in her imagination. 
Maybe she was just panicked, having an anxiety attack. She doesn't know, but she goes, you know what? Tomorrow is Mass, the Catholic Church service. Tomorrow is Mass, and she goes, I'm going to set my alarm. I'll be surrounded by friends. I'll be surrounded by the Lord. I'll go to Mass tomorrow. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was really nothing that happened today. She sets her alarm. She crawls into bed. She falls asleep. The next morning, Molly's alarm goes off. <laughs> Molly's alarm goes off. She's like, huh, what? Huh? And she shuts it off. She shuts it off and she opens her eyes and she sees two alarm clocks. And she finds that odd because she didn't bring her own alarm clock. This was a hotel alarm clock and there was only one. There's only been one this entire time. But now she sees two alarm clocks and one of the alarm clocks, I don't know if she can't see the time on one of them, but the other alarm clock shows that it's really, really early in the morning. Far earlier than it should be for her alarm to have gone off to get ready for mass. She looks at it and she goes, what? Why? I'm, I'm, it's way too early to wake up. I'm going to go back to sleep. So she does. She goes back to sleep. She just rolls back over. <sighs> she wakes up later and realizes she's late for mass. When that alarm went off, that was her alarm to get ready. But when she woke up, she saw this other alarm with the wrong time on it. Thought that was the right time. And she's like freaking out because she really wanted to go to Mass. She's looking forward to it. And she's trying to get ready to go down. And at the same time, she's wondering, what in the world? How, why were there two alarm clocks in my room? And she cannot find the second alarm clock. She does get ready. She goes to Mass. She's a little bit late. She finishes up the conference. Eventually, she returns back home. But something is off. The person who posted this story online was not Molly. But her daughter, we'll call Andy. Andy said, my mom went to this conference. She was a recently converted Catholic. She's super jazzed about the whole thing. She goes off. She comes back. She's very, very sullen withdrawn unlike my mom she's not like this typically and she goes after this conference my mom would just sit there and she'd stare out the window and occasionally she'd start praying to herself or praying to god technically but you know just like kind of mumbling in the corner praying and when andy asked her mom mom what's What's the matter? Like, why? Well, it's such a weird personality change. Like, what happened to you at that conference? And Molly just, Molly would just say nothing, nothing happened. Everything's fine. But Andy recognized that pain, that pain in Molly's eyes when she prayed. Like, it looked like it hurt her to say these prayers. And Andy's, taking all this in and she realizes her mom's struggling with something really, really 
deep. And again, what type of context would you have for any of this? Even if you believed in the paranormal, that's not going to be your go-to thing. Your mom goes off to a conference that she's looking forward to and comes back a completely different person, a sad person. You're going to think someone did something to her, like physically. You're going to think the worst. You're not going to think she took a walk through a forest and something walked alongside of her. You don't even have, you have no nothing in your toolkit to prepare you for this. And with Molly not telling Andy what happened, she did, Andy doesn't know any of this stuff about the path, the breathing, the the feeling of being hunted. And this goes on for a month. This goes on for a month. And then Molly finally says, Andy, I don't know how any of this is connected, but you're right. Something happened to me at that conference, and I I don't know what it was. And she tells Andy about what happened on the path through the forested area outside the hotel. Tells her about the second alarm clock. Tells her about missing mass. And since then, I haven't been able to pray. Well, I I can pray. But when I, when I pray, I see visions. Not holy visions. Not visions of peace and love. I see obscene things. I see deeply depraved sexual images in my head. And I get vulgar thoughts. While I'm praying, I'm just trying to talk to the Lord. These images fill my head. And it disgusts me. It tears at me. It hurts so much. It made me ashamed to pray. Because I didn't want those thoughts. I wanted to talk to God, but... I was too ashamed to. With Andy's help, And I don't know if Andy's a Catholic, right? You know, the mom recently converted. I don't think Andy's like seven or eight. You know, she's older in this story. But, you know, obviously you'd be like, you need to talk to a priest. (laughs) Even if you weren't a Catholic. If a Catholic came to you and you actually were an atheist or agnostic, you didn't believe any of it. Told you a story like that. You may, I think the best, that's the best place to start. Go talk to a priest. So Molly does. Molly went and talked to a priest. And a priest said, you know, what I think happened was a demon attached itself to you when you were out in that area. And it's assaulting you. It's latched itself onto you because you're a new Catholic. You're fresh meat. Like, obviously, every person who believes in religion or not is going to be tempted by sin or and fall to sin. Everyone falls to some sin or another. But if you can take someone who's just starting this journey and get them to quit, 
I mean, what a win, right? What a win for the bad guys. It'd be the same thing if someone's like, that's it, I'm finally on this huge weight loss journey, and they start working out, and then you decide to open a cheeseburger store right next to them. <laughs> Literally, wherever they go, there's a robot selling cheeseburgers. They're like, oh, man. It's like you want to get them right when they're at their start. It's like a sweeter victory, almost. They're, they almost found salvation, but nope. He goes, this demon's attached itself to you, and it wants to stop you from continuing your journey as a Catholic, but you, here's the thing, you have to push through this. This isn't an exorcism. This isn't anything that I can help you with in that vein. This is your battle. You have to fight this thing. He goes, you got to keep praying. Those images are going to keep flooding in your head and they're going to make you ashamed. They're going to make you think of things you would never, ever think of. The truly most dark, depraved things this demon has access to. He knows that you're afraid of. He knows what you like, but don't want to admit you like. He's going to mix these things together to confuse you. To create this illusion of debauchery and depravity. And it's going to happen every time you pray. But you got to keep praying. you got to keep doing it. He says you have to answer the fear and the disgust and the perversity with prayer. And if you continue to do that, you will win. And she did. She continued to pray and she fought through the darkness and she broke the attachment to the demon. And in the end, she was free. It's a super fascinating story, uh, you know, a, a demon story, not necessarily a ghost story. And I would love to know where this place is. Because you have to ask yourself, was the demon drawn there because of the Catholic conference? Or is there an entity of some sort living in the woods there? You figure like, I mean, a demon outside a hotel. That's just the smorgasbord. Or smorgasbord, one of the two. Very weird creature. Adversarial, right? A lot of the paranormal stuff we talk about, like ghosts and cryptids and even aliens, they're not as adversarial as... Even aliens, like when humans are being abducted by aliens, humans are fighting aliens, aliens are killing humans and stuff like that. You can kind of see when two biological entities collide with each other, there will be a fight. We know that happens on Earth, but it doesn't mean that I hate snails doesn't mean that I hate foxes or coyotes, but, you know, if it's digging around your garden, you're going to have to kick it. <laughs> maybe not kick it, maybe, maybe trap it or shoot it or whatever. But what I'm saying is that we're used to that. The, the demons just, they're, it's so adversarial. They just want to destroy. They want to destroy things. And there's no... It's like even you can look at hot lava, you can look at magma and you go, well, I understand that magma is required. The hot lava burns the world, boils the seas, but new land comes out of it. And through that new land are new islands and then life forms can live on that. Like you can understand destructive forces creating beauty, but demons are just destruction. 
Very interesting entity, if you think about it. And I find it odd. I understand why I come across stuff a lot of time on the export of people wanting to make deals with demons and how to contact demons because they represent unlimited power or power that is beyond the means of mortals, but very, very dangerous stuff. Because they just want to destroy, even if they give you a small benefit in the end. They'll destroy. And what, and I gotta wrap it up like this. What I find so interesting about this story is the one thing that you would hope to be able to defeat a demon, God, you know, standing there side by side with God to defeat a demon, was the one thing that they attacked. They attacked her communication with God. That's really, really creepy, and that's very, very powerful. Imagine if every time you picked up your phone to call a loved one, it gave you an electrical shock. It was small, but it was enough to make you go, ow! And the only person who could fix that problem was the person you had to call. And you had to call them. It's like a really bad late saw trap all of a sudden. It's like, your mother hasn't heard from you in a while. Call her and she'll unplug the core or whatever. Saw 11's coming out soon, eventually. Imagine if the only person who could shut off the electrical shock was the person you had to call. <laughs> You're like, Jason, I just want to call him. I just stopped getting shocked, and then I want to have to have him shut it off. But see, that's the point. That would be the easy thing to do, right? Is to not call them, but then you've cut off that communication with someone that you truly care about. Someone you love, you go, it hurts too much to talk to them. They can help me fix this problem, but every time I call them, I'm going to get electrocuted. And the more I call them, the stronger it gets. I just added that part in. I just added that part in. Jigsaw comes in on a little bicycle. Billy the Puppet or whatever his name is. He added that part in. My point is, is that that's what it would be the equivalent to this. The only way to stop it is to continue to pray. But the more you pray, these horrific images pop up into your head. The demon was actually attacking her lifeline. To the divine. And it almost won, right? She didn't even open up to her daughter. For a month, she suffered with this. And the easy thing would have just been to stop and stop going to Mass and not mention anything to her daughter and slowly just move on. And then in a year or two, she probably would have thought it was all in her head anyways. And Catholicism was some goofy religion. What's, what does it matter? I'm just going to live my life. That would have been easy out, but she fought back and she won. But this demon's still out there and there's many, many more just like it. Terrifying story. If it can actually attack your ability to talk to God. That may be one of the most powerful demons you can encounter. And she ran into it on a walk. She didn't summon it. No Ouija board. No burning candles at midnight. Nothing. She was just walking through a forested area outside a hotel. A terrifying story of what can happen. Any time, any place. The world of the paranormal is always looking for new victims.
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>